0: Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Darren Hefty, broadcasting from the Morton Studio today, along with my brother Brian. On Farmer Friday, we take your calls and agronomic questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com. Of course, that email box is always open. we got a number of emails we want to get to real shortly here as well. Brian, anything you want to start off with or want to get right into these questions?
1: Well, I will say there are a lot of questions that are coming in at this time of year, and rightly so. I mean, hopefully you're out scouting your fields, you're looking at what's going on. Like in our region of the country, um, there's a lot of good stuff happening, but unfortunately there are also a lot of issues happening. Cupped soybeans, it's a little ridiculous what we're seeing out there right now. Now, a lot of it's dicamba drift out of Corn, not necessarily out of soybeans, but there's some out of soybeans I'm sure too. And I would also say it's volatility because in a lot of cases we're seeing the cupping two or three weeks later after the dicamba was sprayed. And that tells you that there's very little dicamba that actually got in those beans. And that in terms of damage there isn't going to probably be any yield damage. Uh, In fact, we'll see uh, just as often yield gain as yield damage. But it sure doesn't look good. And I was talking to a few agronomists this morning about this, and they go, well, what are we going to do in the future? And they said, everybody should plant enlist beans. And I go, well, the dicamba drifts coming out of the corn. So you're not going to solve that with enlist beans. Uh, And I, I guess I just said, you know, the only solution here is we stop spraying dicamba altogether. Corn, soybeans, everything. But I said the good news, again, is we're not really hurting yield. If all we're doing is cupping a few leaves, it's not the end of the world. We've got leaves cupped in a lot of our Enlist soybeans all over the farm. But I'll also tell you it's exasperated by the fact this year that it's drought. And there's also salt injury I'm seeing in a lot of areas. So it's not always dicamba that's causing the problem. There are a lot of other things going on as well. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. (music)
0: All right, Brent, a lot of talk about spraying lately, and we've got a couple of sprayer questions here. This one comes from uh, PW who says All right, you guys talk a lot about uh, uh, different things, and you've got a few videos you put together with sprayers and, and other such equipment. But my question for you is if you could have more information about how to pick the right sprayer size and nurse or tender nurse trailer setup for each farm. Hey, thanks, P.W. You know, we have done some some work on nurse trailers. In fact, uh, the last couple of years, I think we've had that on a couple of different times as Iron Talks during our Ag PhD program. Uh, but that's something for our farm that's really helped speed things up when you can fill that sprayer faster when you, that's, that's just a huge time saver. Cause I look at this, you've got a few different things that go into how much, how many acres you can spray each day. It's how much road time you've got getting to and from fields. So if your fields are really close together, you can minimize road time, but if they're farther away, it takes longer, how fast you're going to run in the field. And there's a limit to that. The faster you run oftentimes there's a, there's a speed or once you get past 10 miles an hour, especially A lot of times your coverage goes down and you end up with with more potential issues. And then the third thing is filling that sprayer. And if you can fill it fast... Man, you save a lot of time. So that's really something that we're shooting for. So it's tough to know exactly what your economics are. Yeah, but I mean, that's only a
1: minor portion of what the questions are. And where I'm going with this is how many acres do you farm? How many times do you want to spray? How timely do you need to be? How many people are working for you on the farm? Yep. Uh, I mean, and a whole bunch of other stuff too. What's your financial situation? And, you know, how quickly do you want to pay back? And uh, so. Okay, so the the point is, it's just a lot of individual decisions, and we do talk through a number of those things off and on as we go during our shows. But we don't really get into all that stuff because it varies so much for each farmer,
0: it does. And Dave from Michigan, similar question he said, I'm changing from a smaller pole type to a self propelled sprayer, I need to improve my sprayer efficiency. Uh, likely going to be buying a used one. You yep. guys seem to run a self-propelled sprayer quite yep. often on your show. Just yep. wonder if you had any advice on self-propelled sprayers.
1: Well, there are a lot of good ones out there. For us, we really like the Hagee just because the front boom is nice. You can see what's going on rather than having all that stuff happening behind you. So uh, the other nice thing that we like is the ability to drop the boom and put on all other attachments. So just a couple weeks ago, for example, we put on a coulter unit, 12 row coulter unit on our Hagee instead of having the boom on there. And that was really nice to put fertilizer in the ground since we aren't getting much rain this year. So it just depends on what you're looking for. Again, it's an individual decision. There are a lot of good brands, a lot of good sprayers. They cost a lot of money. I'll say that. So I understand why you're getting a used one, but even a used one costs a lot of money. So you just have to look at how many acres you're doing, the efficiencies that you do gain. And what we always talk about is the timeliness of farming is often undersold. What I mean by that is if you're even three to five days late spraying something, you may have lost tens of thousands of dollars on or more. If you farm lots of acres, it is not uncommon to see massive yield hits by being just a few days late, whether the problem was weeds or insects or diseases, whatever it was. So timeliness is so important. And for each farm, again, that's going to be just a little bit different.
0: All right. I get a question from Monty. He says, I'm raising pumpkins and herbicides are always a tricky subject. My question's about trifluralin. My pumpkin plants are in full bush stage, about ready to send out vines, and this is when I do my final hand weeding between the plants where I can't reach with a cultivator. I want to apply trifluralin directly under the plant canopy. My thought was I could spray with a handheld wand and then immediately wash it off the leaves and water it into the soil. I'm wondering how bad is trifluralin for burning plant parts. This is an extremely high value crop, so extra labor or input costs are irrelevant. Also, do you have any in experience with trifluralin in a granule form and would that be a better fit for me
1: Uh, the granule form probably would be a better fit for you and yes we have lots of experience with that there are a lot of farmers especially as you go north up in North Dakota a lot of people have used that over the years Uh, so we're we're just fine if you want to use the granule form that that would be safer I would say if you're going to rain it in you can't just rain it in with a quarter inch of of moisture I'd rain it in with to three inches of moisture at least two um, so a lot of people will probably tell you oh at least one I I, I want to make absolutely sure that stuff is well in the ground because to your point you do have a high dollar crop you're working with liquid trifluralin doesn't have a lot of leaf burn on crops but nevertheless we don't want to get it on there stay tuned we'll be right back
2: when it comes to weed control our cards have always been on the table Because we believe you deserve near-zero volatility, flexible tank mixing, and a wide application window. That's the Enlist weed control system. Just better. With no ifs, ands, or buts. Discover better weed control. Enlist.com. Enlist.com.
3: In an uncertain market, you need to maximize the quality and profitability of your stored grains by controlling profit-robbing insects. A tank mix of DICON IGR and Sentinel EC Insecticide, or Dicon IGR Plus, offers the long-term control of an insect growth regulator and the knockdown power of a broad-spectrum insecticide. Keep your grain clean with grain protectants from Central Life Sciences. To learn more, contact your local dealer or visit bugfreegrains.com.
0: Join us for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. We're putting on a full day that you won't want to miss. Yield champs will share about raising yields and profits. Industry experts will discuss drainage law, estate planning, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you dozens of research plots and have equipment running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day. Register now at agphd.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday here in the Morton Studio. That means we're taking your calls and agronomic questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got Larry in eastern Iowa who sent a question in. He said, my seed dealer and I have been talking about going to fuller season soybeans trying to get more yield. Do you fellas have any evidence, scientific or otherwise, that fuller season beans will always out-yield shorter beans? Ooh, uh, always. Just like corn. Also, the last <laughs> no. couple of years i planted a lot of 2.5 maturity Liberty Link beans because they had a Peking gene, which has worked well, and it stood well for us at harvest. Always looking for different and better ways to grow beans. I really do like growing this crop. Also, I'm using variable rate fertilizer on most of my fields. Just going to try a couple fields of enlist soybeans for the first time this year.
1: Okay, they're... There's nothing we can say in agriculture that always works. So I would say on average, though... You're smart smart to spread your risk. Right, absolutely. But on average, longer maturing crops, as long as they're appropriate for your area, are going to be fine. So, for example, if you're in an area where a lot of people are raising 2.0 soybeans and you want to raise a 3.5, well, yeah, that's not not wise. But if your area is 2.0 and you're pushing it to 2.3... And maybe just a few of your acres are 2.5. Okay, I get that. We do the same thing. Uh, But you got to be a little bit careful with that. On the early side, I will tell you when you move very much earlier, it it really becomes problematic. So we, a lot of times, will lose yield. So we used to raise a lot of seed production beans, group zeros even, right here where we farm, where typically the average maturity is 1.8 to 2.0. And on average, I figured we lost 7 to 10 bushels. Uh, per acre. So that, you know, yeah, we got a premium for the seed production, but we lost on the yield. So it was kind of a wash. Um, anyway, I, I would tell you the, the other consideration that a lot of people have now is cover crops. They want to raise a cover crop. Well, I just say, why don't you raise a full season crop and then not spend any money on raising a cover crop. So if you were thinking, oh, I'm going to raise a cover crop. Okay. Well, most people spend 15 to 20 bucks in the cover crop plus the seeding and the hassle, and you might have to kill it eventually. So it's probably worth 30 to $40 an acre. So I'm just trying to say, as long as you come out yield even, you're 30 to $40 a head versus the guy who raises a short bean and then just throws a cover crop in and has a whole bunch more expense. So anyway, just something for you to think about
0: to the phone lines get mark down in missouri with us right now mark how are you doing today
4: good how are you guys doing
0: yeah we're doing pretty well what are what are crops looking like down in your area you catching rainfall on a regular basis
4: (laughs) well noah just passed me by in a boat if that tells you anything but uh (laughs) they they got so much water out here that they they it's hard to get the weed out i was talking to the guys up at the mfa today and they said less than about a third have gotten the weed in they just can't get out into the fields and If they get about a week of dry weather, uh, maybe they get out there, but then they're worried about really tracking up the ground, not being able to plant any late beans. Um, Some of the uh, beans that are out there right now in the low spots are turning brown because it's holding water so bad. So that's what they're doing right now. Just a, a good time of year to plant those donut seeds, if you remember our past conversation.
0: So. yeah yeah absolutely now one other thing we talked about in the past too is just wildlife in general and I know in our area I've heard a lot of growers talking about how our wildlife going to be impacted by the drought how about where you've got the excessive moisture uh, is that a negative for the wildlife
4: you, you know not too much for us because uh, they'll move around get out of the water and, and they'll eat whatever's available. available um, we had corn beans milo and sunflowers last year so um this year, you know, the, everything's just starting to come up. One of the tricks we try to use is planting about two weeks after the farmers do so they don't come up and nibble off the top of our beans before they get a start. But uh, with the water, um, you know, in my ground where I'm at, it's uh, woods, and they're pretty rolling hills, so the water's not hurting except for the low spots. It's just you got to get in and get out of there before it got too wet, and we were fortunate we were able to.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting, just as we talk to folks around the country, just the differences and different challenges that, that they're facing. So talk to us about next week. What what do you be doing next week?
4: Um, well, I'm going to go out there. Uh, we just picked up another leaf. Uh, it's a farm that butts up to us. So we've been working on uh, where we can, filling t- terraces, and, uh, or tiling, I'm sorry, terraces. And we're going to put in a new lake this fall. Um, we had some CRP ground that came out and we had some issues with weeds in there. So they're going to start to try to turn that under when they can, when it dries, to deal with the weeds by planting crops in it and let that go for a few years. Um, and, uh, other than that, just do a lot of maintenance when, you know, until you can get out to the field.
0: Yeah, it's, it's always a big job when you get a new piece of ground. Well, Mark, it's been great talking to you. Good luck here. Enjoy your 4th of July holiday. If you guys, to be safe. Sit down to Kansas. Got Dennis on with us right now. Dennis, how you doing?
5: Oh, just having a pretty good day. How you guys doing?
0: Oh, excellent. So it sounds like we we're just talking to Mark over in Missouri. Sounds like he's hogging all the water. How are you guys doing where you're at in Kansas?
5: Oh, you know we're farmers. If it cloud comes up and it don't rain, it's gonna get dry. You know how that goes.
4: <laughs>
5: yep. We we have adequate moisture right now. We really do in this area. Now there's are places around us that don't. But uh, that's kind of the way it is. But, no, we're in good shape, and uh, we got wheat harvest going on right now. We're spraying beans and uh, putting up hay, and, and we had a wet spring, so a lot of things are way behind where they should be, but we're getting it done.
0: All right, so how's that wheat harvest going? What are you seeing for yields in, in the area?
5: Well, I know personally of uh, some that was going up around 78 to 85, and uh, it'll be below that. But there's some of the top yields I've been hearing. That yeah. Moisture's around 12 and a half. Uh, test weights going to be around 60 better someplace in there. So uh, we're having a lot better uh, wheat uh, uh, harvest this year than I've seen in quite a while.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Uh, so you said you're putting up some hay right now too. What are you seeing with this cutting of hay? Is it is it a pretty decent one? I know a lot of guys said the first cutting, they had a lot of challenges with alfalfa weevil larvae. What are you seeing on the second cutting?
5: Well, we sprayed three times of all uh, on the weevil. So we kind of kept them under control. We, uh, you know, there's some guys said, "Well, I've only got X amount of dollars spray on my alfalfa, and they just let them." If you start spraying and you don't take care of it, you've just lost every, all your money you put in to start with. So if you don't continue through, you just kind of lost cause. But uh, we had a really, really super first cutting. In fact, it was cut late and uh, it was heavy. Oh my goodness, it was heavy. And the second cutting has come right up, and it's it's looking great too. We're going to be getting into some of it probably next week. Uh, we're working on some prairie hay stuff right now, trying to get it caught up and uh it, there's no end to it we'll just keep right on rolling
0: yeah that's right well you guys are super busy you mentioned spraying some beans you got hay going on you got wheat harvest going on so uh do you get much sleep this time of year
5: oh you know you gotta make money when you can make money you know when the snow's blowing and, and it's cold out and I you can do complain you know you better uh you better have worked in the summertime to kind of make up for those days, you know? <laughs>
0: yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I love it, though. It's fun. It's uh, it's all good stuff, and it's really nice when that hay crop's good and and wheat harvest is going fairly well. Uh, can't can't have a whole lot to complain about. Well, Dennis, great talking to you. Really appreciate uh, having you on the show. Stay safe. You guys got a lot of stuff going on.
5: Okay. Hey, thank you very much. Appreciate it, and really enjoy your, your show.
0: Oh, thanks. Really appreciate that, too. I've uh, got Chuck on right now down in Kansas as well with us with some fertility questions. Chuck, how you doing?
6: Doing fine today. It's uh, finally quit running raining here, and we'll hopefully get back in field here next week.
0: Awesome, awesome. So, what are you thinking on with fertilizer here?
6: Okay, we got our ground all grid sampled and been variable rating. Well, I have a little bit of a problem. Especially on what's going to corn the following year, like most, a lot of our fields were not real low in in pot or potassium or po- phosphate, rather I'm meant to say we're not real low there. So anyway, we've always kind of depended on the starter fertilizer for part of our nitrogen, you know, like a starter in the spring.
7: Okay.
6: And anyway, that I feel like that kind of hurts our corn then because we're not putting much. You know, that little dab of nitrogen down in there. And then the other problem is, like on a variable rate deal, like spots in the field that don't call for much, how do you guys do your like sulfur adding sulfur and stuff like that? Because you you can't get a consistency of pounds of sulfur
0: across the field ah, Chuck you're hitting on a great point here we're going to have to hold here through the break if you can hang on with us we'd love to ask you some more questions so Chuck Sand grid soil sample doing variable rate fertility how do we handle some of these areas that aren't calling for a lot versus areas that are calling for quite a bit we'll talk about that right after this stay tuned
8: the Pentair Hypro Express Flush Valve reduces plugged nozzles and improves clean-out of your spray boom. Simply flush boom sections with a quarter-turn ball valve and leave your tools in the cab. Plus, insulation is easy. Simply remove the existing end cap plug and replace with the Hypro Express Flush Valve.
3: Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from FarmShop MFG can increase your stored beans' moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000-bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for more. Help keep the toughest, most resistant diseases out of your fields with Lucento Fungicide from FMC. An exclusive novel premix of two modes of action delivers broad-spectrum control and a long-lasting protective residual. Tackle key diseases in corn, soybeans, wheat, peanuts, and sugar beets. Choose Lucento Fungicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use.
0: Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live shark farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register.
3: When it comes to soybean diseases, the longer you wait, the more damage you do. Stop the clock on white mold and other yield-robbing diseases with Approach Prima Fungicide from Corteva AgriScience. Approach Prima Fungicide quickly surrounds the surface of the plant for rapid absorption, then moves throughout the plant, providing full protection of each leaf and stem, even those that have yet to emerge. Uptake occurs on day one, nearly twice as fast as the next leading competitor. For more information, visit approachprima.corteva.us or your local crop protection retailer. Always read and follow label directions. You're listening to
0: Ag PhD Radio, and it's a Farmer Friday, meaning we take your phone calls all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can always email us as well, radio at agphd.com, but it's so fun when we get the phone calls. Right now we've got Chuck from Kansas on with us who's talking about variable rate fertilizer and He's found a little frustration, and you're not alone chuck where where there's variability out in fields, and how do you do it as one area calls for a bunch, one area calls for not much, and you said sulfur and nitrogen are a couple of nutrients you're struggling with
6: well it uh, we've always depended on you know when we flat rated years ago, you put on so much eighteen forty six and then so much you know potash an acre just a straight spread you know well we always kind of depended on that extra that 18 units of nitrogen depending on what your rate is just use that for a number as part of our starter with our fertility for our right. corn, you know well yeah. with the variable rate now and i'm really struggling with this deal now there's times in the field that it doesn't hardly get any nitrogen out there i don't really have you know where it's on the maps I can't really say for sure it's hurting me but it's it it bugs me. And then if you sew in the to try to add on sulfur, uh, you know, the machine's not putting much on at times in here. So <laughs> I'm almost tempted to go back to flat rate. I'd like to fix what's bad after in the field first. And then I can go back to just a maintenance program, hopefully. Sure. I don't know. I just you see where I'm struggling
1: here. Oh, we we totally understand. So here's here's how we handle that exact same thing, Chuck. We will okay. usually take, let's say, ammonium sulfate, and we will blanket spread across maybe it's all our acres, even 100 pounds or 150 pounds, or maybe even 200, depending on the year and what's going on. But we'll just blanket spread that, and then we have some other things where we might be going elemental sulfur or something else containing sulfur, where some acres literally get zero. To your point, so that. <laughs> way I know that I'm covered if I've got that ammonium sulfate out there. And then we just subtract that nitrogen from what we're doing on the variable rate side. So that's kind of how we handle it. There's another way to handle it that some people do. They just have multi-compartment spreaders. And so when it gets to some of those areas where, let's say, you're not putting on any 1846, then more urea kicks on right in that spot. So, I, I mean, there are there are a number of different ways to handle this. The simplest way, at least for us, has been let's just send a guy out and go spread ammonium sulfate on all our acres, and then we'll go do our, our variable rate stuff and we'll call her good right
6: one field particular it's like a seventy-acre field there yep <clears throat> according to my maps i have one which they're colored but anyway it shows up as red on phosphate well i asked my fertilizer dealer i says and he said well he didn't you know he didn't quite have the program to put in there but he said yeah i, I can tell you about where it's at. i said let's go out there and put a couple hundred pounds of 1846 on that spot yep then i said go ahead and blanket spread the field to try to fix this well the guy that does my soil sampling you can't do that you can't fix that all at once well why (laughs) am i nuts for thinking that way
1: uh no what you're suggesting is exactly what we do so what if we pick up new ground we will immediately Get any dirt work done, tiling done, and I'll, we'll fertilize it. So we're all the way to what my goals are, and my goals, just so you know, a uh, hundred parts per million of P1 phosphorus. So I mean, we're putting a lot on. That might mean several hundred pounds of an 18460 or something like that. Now. For any of the people out there who are all worried about this, if you're not a farmer and you think, oh my gosh, Brian's way overspreading fertilizer and it's going to contaminate the world or anything like that, phosphorus doesn't move. Phosphorus is stuck in soil. So as long as we we can eliminate soil erosion, which we mostly we've almost re- eliminated it, uh, we don't have any phosphorus movement. And the other thing we try to do like with phosphorus is put it down in the ground. If we've got it six inches down in the ground or even two inches down in the ground, it's not going anywhere. It's going to be there until a crop or a weed pulls it up at some point. So anyway, I'm totally with you. If I got a problem, I'm fixing it today. But I will say this, uh, Chuck, we've had issues where, oh, we're crazy low on phosphorus. So we threw all this phosphorus out and then immediately we created a zinc problem. Because our zinc was also low and we didn't fix the zinc at the same time. And there is a correlation between phosphorus and zinc. There also is one between phosphorus and copper, but it's not as pronounced as the phosphorus to zinc thing. So I'm just saying it's great to go out and put on big rates and fix things when you have the chance... But don't forget about some of the other nutrients, too, because that's what happened to us. So I'm just trying to tell you from, my, from our mistakes on our farm, and I'll even uh, I'll take the blame because it was me. Uh, I screwed up, and I put all this pee out there, and I forgot about zinc and copper. And then right away, we caused zinc and copper deficiencies. And then the next year, I'm going, oh, okay, I guess I better fix these other things, too.
6: Well, they're getting ready to pull tissue samples here next few days. <clears throat> and i'm kind of anxious to see pertaining to what i did last fall here whether i can tell the difference between this and the fields that are just on straight bearable rate sure and uh, so anyway i'm kind of curious to see how that's to, to, how that's going to turn out and one other thing i want to tell you guys i appreciate what you guys talk about on the phone you guys are farmers out there and I tell you what, you're not scared to talk about your mistakes or your successes. And, <laughs> That's and pretty I, easy. I we got plenty. Of, my- we
0: got plenty of mistakes. <laughs> we got a few successes I know on too. On my
6: farm, I've always learned more from what I did wrong sometimes and what I got lucky and got by.
1: That's what our dad always said, too. So, yeah, we have all kinds of experience with that, but and and we're, we're not afraid to try stuff because otherwise, how do you know? So, yeah, we, we appreciate the questions, and if you ever want to send us any soil tests or anything like that, we'd be more than happy to take a look at it for you.
6: Okay. Well, thanks again for you guys' uh, information and the time you put into it every day. We I appreciate it very
1: much. You bet. Thank no no thanks,
6: problem. Chuck.
0: Thanks, Chuck. Set out to Colorado we got Terry with it sounds like some good news Terry how are things going on your farm
9: that's going really good this year we got a 150 percent of our normal moisture level
0: outstanding
9: so, stuff's growing every place it's <laughs> going really good
0: well that's good now you can send any excess you have this way we would gladly take it but oh, but I'm really happy for you that. you're in a good spot because you guys were dry last year weren't you at the end of the season?
9: Yes, actually, we've been dry for the last two years, and last year, last year was so bad, we had a hard time making graze for the cows. Wow. As a matter of fact, that's the way it's been for the last two years. Uh, so this year, this year we ain't got to worry about buying feed or anything else. And uh, as far as the wheat, I can't believe the size of the wheat heads this year. Them things must be roughly four or five inches long. They're huge.
0: That sounds like fun. I, I love that there's light at the end of the tunnel and it seems like a lot of times things kind of even out. So you've had rough years for a couple of years and now, now you get a good one. Well, couldn't be better timed when you get good crop prices too.
9: That's what I was thinking. I was, I was looking forward to harvest this
0: year. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome, Terry. Well, cool. That's good to hear. It's good to hear that the, the pastures have some food out there for these cattle as well. Cause man, hay is, he's not cheap this year either
9: uh yeah and i got it too we got uh i think we're we're sitting right around 86 big big round bales the five by sixes running about 16 eh, between 15 and one hundred and sixteen hundred pounds of. pounds and got a little, got a little bit to go haircut. on so we're doing good there uh also I called in once, asked, uh, talked to you guys about gibberellic acid, because I was going to try using it this year, Yep. and I found out from you guys uh, where to get it, because the only place I could find was places that just provided uh, gibberellic acid to greenhouses and gardeners and stuff like that, and it was okay. driving me nuts. Yep. Uh, anyhow, I found where to get it. I couldn't get it this year, but uh, I found a source, uh, and he pick some places here that's close to me that I'll be able to get get it and so next year next year I'll be able to get my hands on it in time to uh, apply it
0: outstanding well hopefully you got a little bit of moisture left over at the end of this year so everything gets off to a good start and yeah that can can certainly give it a boost as well next year Terry thanks for the call Bye. glad to hear things are going good hopefully it keeps up for the rest of the season
9: I hope so too thanks a lot
0: you bet. thank you Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. Do you need to replant soybeans due to cold temperatures, heavy rains, or another weather event? Weeds don't seem to care, and you have limited options for last minute weed control. This is when you turn to Spitfire herbicide from New Farm. Unlike other Phenoxy herbicides, Spitfire can be applied up to seven days before planting. Fields treated with the dual active power of Spitfire will
3: benefit from weed control that will ease planting and help your beans establish a good stand. Spitfire from New Farm, here to help. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards Program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year,
5: you earn $3 per acre in cash back rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every
3: part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions.
0: Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live shark farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register.
3: You're listening to ag phd radio
0: on a farmer friday our phone lines are open and we'd love to hear from you at 844-44-AG-PHD having fun here in the morton studio talking to even some growers where the crops are doing really well uh that's fun it's good to hear that that somebody's getting some rain just talked to terry out in colorado sounds like things are much much better than they've been the last couple years there uh, let's head up to Saskatchewan. We got Gary with us right now. Wants to talk a little phosphorus. Gary, how you doing? Hello,
8: I'm doing well. I uh, wish my crops were, but they're uh, we're dry. Like you guys sound, like you are.
0: Yeah, we are. It doesn't do us much good to complain about it, though. We don't have irrigation we can turn on, so we just gotta wait, I guess, and be patient. That's easy for Brian to do, right? He's he's really patient.
8: <laughs>
0: uh-huh. <laughs> I'm being very sarcastic Gary so what what are you thinking about with phosphorus
8: well listening to you guys over the years and you talk about wanting your phosph to zinc ratio at 10 to 1 and so I thought well we're going to do that here and away we go and then I kind of clued in that oh I'm looking at phosphate to zinc not not phosph to zinc like I think you guys are
1: Yeah, so we're typically talking phosphorus to zinc. When it's phosphate to zinc, uh, then your zinc is going to be much lower compared to the phosphorus because phosphate is 2.3 times phosphorus. Uh, So in other words, if I had, uh, let's say, 10 parts of phosphorus, that means 23 parts of phosphate. So anyway, but I I will tell you, at least you're getting your zinc levels up. uh, So that, that, I mean... Even where you're at then, you're probably, instead of 10 to 1, you're probably, uh, let's see, my math is horrible, 23 to 1. Uh, So, you know, it's not disastrous. What we found is you start getting it much further than that out of balance, and we are seeing yields go down. But, yeah, it's very possible that having your zinc up just a little bit higher will pay. But, you know, Gary, we also have talked for the last couple of years about how we're mapping out now all of our grid points uh, and doing one-acre grids, and not that everybody has to do that, but we like that because all the data we're generating. But anyway, looking at grid points versus yield to every grid point. So then we can see, okay, at what point does it pay? So I I can't give you an exact number on what this is, but, you know, the more years we do these studies, the more we'll we'll be able to dial that in a little bit better for each particular crop.
8: Yep, and we started doing that ourselves. Um, Great. The big drawback I see on it is the time it takes to sample uh yep. to do the sampling. You're right. It's uh <laughs> have you heard of this machine out this year or a couple of years? Uh soil optic. Supposedly it's a machine can go along and just uh point the machine at the ground and it gives you an analysis, boom, just like that. Uh
1: I don't know if I've heard of that one in particular. But, you know, that's honestly something that we've said for years. That's been my dream. If we could just go along and it senses what the the fertility level is in the soil, so we could literally go variable rate, not just by acre, but by square foot, um, that would be incredible. So hopefully someday we get to that point where we could do this literally on the go on thousands of acres, and then we'd really be getting somewhere. So yes, there are yeah. a lot of machines out there and uh yeah, I'm I'm excited for technology. I just don't know that it's quite here yet, but I, I I haven't looked at that one in particular. And so maybe we'll try that out and we see. Oh boy, that's great.
8: Yeah. Uh before I go, I think you guys have more influence than you think you do maybe. Um, and I think you could have some good influence on the soil testing labs or the fertilizer industry in general to make things more standardized. For example, this phosphorus we're talking about. Yep. You and I don't mind doing the calculations. We're interested in this and like it. Normal people have no patience when you start saying, well, yeah, but that's phosphate, or no, that's phosphorus. If it was all standardized, which I think you guys could could go a long ways towards making it that way. I think it would make it a lot better.
1: Well, uh, first of all, thanks for the kind words, and I agree with you 100% everything you said except for the fact uh, you said you and I don't mind doing it I do mind doing the calculations (laughs) now I love math and I love spreadsheets and everything but I like simple so yes if it was if I had the soil test labs I'd record everything in phosphate and it would all be in pounds per acre not parts per million there's no reason why anything needs to be in parts per million in this day and age put it in pounds per acre so it's in simple terms so all of us can understand and we're all in the same page and we don't have uh, we don't have issues out there because yeah, i agree I'm with
0: just you i'm glad there gary problems. wasn't asking for kilograms brian that's the <laughs> next thing that we run into is no, why don't no, we have it in true. metric
7: no, I,
8: <laughs> no 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 i do pounds. <laughs>
1: but yeah anyways
8: i'll leave that with you and i think you guys do have the uh have the influence and uh i remember you talking about tiling when you first started up and you yep. had to you had to do some people work and some uh convincing and uh and you had success out of it and i think the same idea could happen here
1: all right we'll work on it gary thanks for the suggestion and uh hope the rest of the season turns out great for you
8: thanks for now bye
0: let's head down to texas get a friend carl on right now carl how's it going
2: oh i guess we're okay um the spring was extremely wet again and Our corn got stunted, and it was just so wet, so long, pretty much from the time. I mean, you just had a day or two to plant, and then you have to wait four or five more days, and then you get a day or two to plant. And uh, so, same way I went with the side dressing and the spraying, and it's been a tough go. But the problem we had, and right now the corn is tassel well it's it's pollinated what i think what's going to pollinate but any low spot or flat spot in the field was extremely yellow stunted and the higher spots were a little bit better but were just way way too much rain and so a lot of guys um they side dressed their corn and then they came back with an airplane because that's the only thing you could get in there and I didn't do that because my uh, salesman, chemical salesman and all that, um, said, "Call oh, it's not going to do any good to put that nitrogen on your corn because it's just too far gone. Well, so then it quit raining, of course, after it just, what I thought would be too late to help, and we combined our wheat, and so at, uh, my question is, when is it too late? to put fertilizer on your corn to help it make corn.
1: All depends on what your fertility levels are in that soil at that point and what your remaining yield potential is. So let's put it this way. At Tassel, the corn still needs about a third of its total nitrogen. But what we'll do is we'll go out and test the soil and find out, well, what do we actually have there? Because soil organic matter releases nitrogen for free every year. So you you get some out of the organic matter. And a lot of times the applications of nitrogen and before tassel because typically by that point we have enough either coming out of the soil or what's already been applied so i can understand why your dealer told you not to apply after that point and and also you know if you look at when your comment was he said it was too far gone Uh, that is proven as well. So if your yield potential is way down, well, obviously your crop doesn't need a whole lot more nitrogen or quite frankly, any fertilizer. So yeah, it's a tough spot that you're in. We actually have had in our region of the United States, we have that issue, which you just described for, uh, you know, this challenge and I can plant about one every four or five days and all this kind of stuff. That's almost our typical spring. I would say five out of 10 years, that is our typical spring. And that's why so many guys have put tile in the ground and why when you look at the amount of equipment that farmers have in our region you go that guy's only farming 800 acres. What in the world does he yeah. need a 20 a 24 row planter for, and this great big equipment and all this stuff? And it's like, well, so he can be <laughs> timely because we end up with weather issues all the time. So anyway, I, I think yeah, what you did totally. this year is probably yeah, what you did this year is probably the right decision uh, to you know apply some more fertilizer, but then uh, uh, call or quits there then after a while. Hey uh, Carl, we got to take a quick break. If you got any more questions with us, hang on. Uh, we appreciate you calling. In. Stay tuned, this is AgPHD Radio.
3: Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Endoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at indoprimecorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Morton Buildings
5: knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers
3: page at mortonbuildings.com.
0: Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live shark farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register.
3: Your soil, your season, your edge, Make the new 3-point Soil Warrior Edge from environmental tillage systems your strip tillage system. Because you don't get to choose the condition of your soil, the Soil Warrior Edge is engineered to handle whatever's in your fields. That same durable engineering goes the extra acre when that's what you have to do. The new Soil Warrior Edge 3-point mounted strip till system. Learn more at SoilWarrior.com. Summer Friday here in the Morton
0: studio with Ag PhD radio and our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD we're talking to Carl down in Texas. The question was when is it too late to put nitrogen on corn? Uh, Carl you had more questions to, to talk about?
2: Yeah, what in some of them low spots when it turned 90 degrees like four days after it turned 90 degrees all of a sudden the top Of that plant, it kept growing, and all of a sudden, we got green leaves. Yep. And I know there's not much on it, and then we have a lot of corn that was screwed up so long; the ears have come out at knee high. Yep. And of course, when they lean over, when you harvest, you're going to have to be digging them out of the (laughs) dirt. But yep. um, That I guess the the really really short stalk is is also because plant was grounded for so long that yep. it wasn't growing. Is that
1: correct? Uh, yeah, and, and the whole thing is a corn plant can produce eight or ten ears, and so the plant right. at some point is going to pick, well, which one's going to be the primary ear, and then they're going to put, the plant's going to put its energy into that ear. So... Yeah, it it can be at different heights, and we're experiencing kind of the same thing you're talking about with low ear height this year because of our drought situation. So I realize it's different than your wet situation, but either way, it's a stress, and that sometimes causes the plant to look what we feel is a little odd. So, yep, we we, we feel what you're going through because we are also going to, unfortunately, have to run the corn head just about on the ground, I'm afraid, in some of these
2: fields. Yeah, we got a lot of corn that's five foot tall and tasseled rather than seven or eight foot. Right. Yep. It's a pretty ugly deal. Yep. So, okay, well, thank you. You bet. Yeah. Thanks for the
1: call. Appreciate
2: it.
0: Bye. Right. Let's head over to north central Illinois. We've got Paul on with us right now with kind of an unusual challenge out in his cornfield. Paul, how are you doing? Well,
7: could uh, be doing better. Uh, we're fighting voles in the field okay and beans and they're just making holes all over the the bean fields
0: sure sure is this a uh, no-till
7: situation then yes it is okay and it's and it's continuous soybeans
1: okay do you do any cover crop at all paul or not
7: we had we cover cropped everything yep uh, the
0: cereal rye or what are you using
7: well, we use a uh, blend of cereal rye, perennial rye, or annual rye, I should say, and uh, some barley. Okay. And um, some fields that we've done that on, there's not a bowl around, you know? In other fields, we got all kinds of holes showing up.
1: Yeah. So... And this cover crop, by the way, do you ever terminate it or is it growing all the way into the spring?
7: Well, we, we terminate it at, uh, well, this year because we were pretty dry at that time. Yep. We didn't want to hook up all the moisture. So we terminated it at, oh, at about a foot tall.
1: Uh, so in the fall or in the spring? In the spring. Yeah. Yep. So where we see vole problems, no-till, and where people are raising cover crops that grow all the way into the spring. So what you're doing, unfortunately, is a great home for these voles. And that's what makes it a little tough. So when we talk simply cultural practices, forget about everything else, when we just talk cultural practices, what guys will do is basically terminate their cover crop in the fall rather than in the spring. And that's one of the things that a lot of times will reduce the population at least a little bit. Some people have said in corn anyway, they'll go out with anhydrous. And no, no, no rodent seems to like anhydrous very well. So sometimes that makes the voles leave. Uh, other than that, there are some... Uh, rodenticides like uh, zinc phosphide that you could use but I don't well I, I'll just I'll leave it at that <laughs> you, you can use zinc phosphide if you would like to that that is something that some people are doing
7: okay now my neighbor yep who works his ground no cover crop but it had some volunteer corn on from last year. Yep. Okay, and uh, he's fighting the same problem. Well, fighting the same problem.
1: Yeah. Um. It. it. and I'm just going to throw this out there, and I don't know, uh, but, you know, I haven't studied, obviously, your field and the neighbor's field or anything else. All I can tell you is usually we see far less issue when somebody's working their ground. It is more black. There just isn't as much of a home for voles, plus the fact that all these birds like hawks and stuff that like to eat them, they can see them much easier when there isn't all the residue out there. And it's perhaps just because there is no-till done or cover crop done in the area and so the vole population is building in your area that that, that sometimes can happen. It's even like for if you rotate corn and soybeans And uh, the neighbors are all doing continuous corn. That's the case around us a lot of times. We still have lots of rootworm problems, even though we were rotating. So it's just there are so darn many bugs around here, we have that problem. So maybe that's the case with the voles. I I, I don't know, but I, I just know... No-till, cover crops, that's where we see more of a problem. And I don't have this, you know, fantastic answer for you to just say, oh, go spray this and you're done. Now, like I say, I mean, you can use some zinc phosphide or some other rodenticide that you could find. But, uh, you know, it just, it's its unfortunate. And we never used to deal with, it seems like, much for rodent problems in fields. But as we've continued to reduce tillage, because we've run into this as well, I see voles now way more than I ever used
7: to. No, yeah. yeah. There was a, uh, okay, supposedly down in Tennessee, there was a gentleman down there that used dried Jello mixed with his insecticide when he planted. Yep, and it's and it scared all, uh, it's cured all uh, the it scared all the problems. Well, the thing is, so, with
1: yeah, you you can use insecticide, but the problem is, the pyrethroids absolutely will not kill voles at all. It would just be the organophosphates correct. that would have some activity on them, but it's not going to be perfect. And I'm I'm trying to think of an organophosphate uh, soil applied product like a counter or something like that that's labeled for soybeans, and I can't come up with one off the top of my head. There probably is one, but. And, and, you know, the foliar ones, let's say it's Lorsban or something, that's an organophosphate. Uh, you know, guys have sprayed that and I just haven't seen kill. I mean, it might you might kill some of them, but I don't know that you're, I, I know you are not going to kill all of them. So that's why I say, I don't have this answer where I can just say, oh yeah, if you got a few bugs out there, also you go spray this product and it's going to wipe everything out. You got to have something that actually kills the voles or at least repels them and makes them leave the field. Something they don't like very much. So that's why that's where kind of where I was going with the anhydrous. They don't like that, and a lot of times they leave.
7: Yeah, no, I understand, understand. Well, I figured you guys would know the answers.
1: <laughs> well, like I say, there there is uh, the zinc phosphide. That is an answer. I don't love it, uh, but you know, other than that, it's tillage and trying to have weeds and and cover reduced as much as possible, at least for a little while. So it doesn't have to be all the time, but at least for a little while, that does seem to help. So all the reading up I've done on it and people that have had success, a lot of times that's what it is.
7: Okay. Uh, Thank you for your time and uh, we'll have the river than this year. <laughs>
1: here. Yeah, un- well. un- unfortunately it, it, it seems like you probably will. I, I would say too, some people have tried, you know, on some of these seed treatments whether it's like Thiram or something, that seems to help a little bit. It's kind of a repellent. And so you'll you'll also hear different people suggest certain things like oh I've tried this before or that uh, turpentine's been thrown out there uh, the uh, uh, what's it called uh, the 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 thing that makes the hot in the hot peppers that's a repellent so I mean y- you're gonna hear some of that kind of stuff and certainly you could try that we just have never tried that before
7: has anyone tried vinegar. <laughs>
1: I'm guessing so. Probably so. You
0: could be the first though, Paul.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I'll tell you what, Paul, uh, if you find something that's fantastic, you let us know because we're looking for the same thing. Hey, Paul, we got to run, but thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. You bet.
0: Brian, got a desperate question. This is Matt in central Pennsylvania. I've got oats that are at the early boot stage for ragweed control. Bucktroll, Starring Ultra, and Stinger are labeled. Would any of those work on ragweed for me?
1: Well, stinger has some activity on ragweed. Bucktrell has a little bit. Star, Starring's got a little bit, Just too. The little. problem
0: is the ragweed's probably stinger big. Stinger be better. But those yep. would be your best three choices. Thanks for the question, Matt. And thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.